Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host, teacher and socialist Andy Lipson, and writer and teacher Jessica. <clears throat> Our other co-host, Kenny Cepeda, will be out today and rejoin us next week. <clears throat> Excuse me. Stuff like that will be cut off when if you cough or anything like that. I'm just telling you. <laughs> We're online at what-s-left.webnote.com. Uh, you can find that link to our blog and the episode notes. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, and share your favorite episode where we found this episode. Thank you. Right. Um, today we are joined with two ingenuous, courageous, and inspiring women to discuss um, the Luminary Village in the Bay Area, uh, an intentional community which we will delve into deeply just in a sec. As I introduce um, Mercedes Gerhardt, uh, founder and director of the Luminaries. Um, Mercedes is an occupational therapist, mother of a beautiful daughter, uh, who she owes a great awakening back in 2014. And Oksana Ostrovskaya, excuse me, <laughs> I, I don't mean to botch anyone's last name, just it's difficult for me. Um, you are the directing assistant of the Luminaries, yes, and uh, works as a project manager at a creative agency. Uh, Oksana is a mother of two boys as well. And um, we're very happy to have you both here. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so you. much for having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, um, we'll be discussing this amazing community, right? That you, that was created as a refuge during the previous two years. And um, this community, if I have it right, um, from what we, uh, well, from what I've read is, this Luminary Village is a multicultural, intergenerational community and sanctuary for freedom-loving people. And as you all say, um, we are building the beautiful new earth while standing in our power and natural rights so that future generations can be free to live and blossom into their fullest potential. Yeah? Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> well, let's just start there then, I guess. This is where um, you can both share with us your background, um, some things you can tell us about yourself, and how you came to be involved in the project like Luminaries. I think, I think Mercedes is going to start because uh, she's the founder and she was at the beginning of it. And then I can continue how I found Luminaries. It's just so funny to me thinking back. I never thought I'd be sitting in front of the, a camera interviewing and talking about like what I did. You know, it feels like eons ago, but just a couple years ago. Um, so... Yeah, my background, basically, I feel like I owe my great awakening and my vision of what everything is like right now to my daughter. I just early on, I just uh, went down a lot of different rabbit holes of research. So when all this started happening a couple years ago, you know, I felt really isolated initially because on social media, when I was trying to question things, um, you know, people were just like, you have to stay home and what are you doing out? You know, because I was not following all the mandates that they were imposing upon us. So I just got really discouraged, like thinking, am I crazy for like questioning this? Like, how come nobody else is? I just really didn't have anybody around me that was questioning anything. So then um, I heard about a community in Santa Cruz and even prior to that, I had decided to delete my social media because it was so depressing to me because it was people were not supportive of like my opinions and not that I needed them to be supportive, but I needed to see some other people being like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. You know, they can't walk us in our houses, closing the beaches. I mean, so yeah, um, luckily I was 
um, told about this community in Santa Cruz. They were there to like open the beaches. And I thought, yeah, I want to be a part of something like that. So I went and drove down there. I mean, unfortunately, it was two hours away. But when I got there, I just felt so well received. And it felt like, you know, they were strangers to me, but it felt like I could just talk to these people for hours. And I knew them for so long, it seemed. And I was just so inspired that I was meeting people that actually didn't make me feel like a crazy tinfoil hat lady. So that was really just like, it feels like it's just kind of like when we started Luminary Village and people started coming to us, the same feeling of this weight being lifted from your shoulders to know that you're not crazy. And there are other people out there that are questioning things and, you know, not connecting things. And to me, I felt like early on, it was so easy for me to like connect a lot of the dots. And I was just waiting to, I mean, literally here we are two years later, I'm still waiting for people to tell me, like, I'm still waiting to be vindicated and be like, you were right about that. So, yeah, I mean, (laughs) so yeah, so basically the culmination of Luminary Village started because, I mean, I didn't want to continue driving two hours to have to meet like-minded community, although it was very fun and I loved, you know, having that, those people out there. I met a mom who, um, cause one thing they would do when they would gather is they would like have like a little intro and they would talk about, they did have little breakout groups. And one of the moms said, I'm a homeschool village, um, mom. And I, uh, no, actually she called it. I changed the language. Cause as we know, language is like everything. And one of the ways that you can get into the jurisdiction basically is using that jurisdictional language. So if I said cooperative, co- um, which is what she was calling it. Uh, co-op um you know I've learned to not use that language as much anymore so yeah she had said she's running her own little co-op and she wants to start to train other moms to have it in their own communities and I thought like the light bulb just went off like oh I've never put those together oh homeschool co-op that sounds amazing because I mean I have this here I have been questioning the education system the education system for quite some time this is john taylor gatto who talks about the history of american education so i mean i'm so grateful for this last two years because i've always been on the brink of like wanting to do something really different for my daughter and not knowing what that looks like because when you go type in alternative education um you're gonna find waldorf you're gonna find reggio emilio you're gonna find montessori and just some of that stuff just didn't align completely with me i do feel a lot of it is somewhat dated for today's world and today's kids and i mean just look at the challenges we're going through although i'm sure history repeats itself and there may be a lot of similarities i just didn't feel the calling to you know join those um organizations at the same time i'm glad i didn't because even though i was in alignment with what i thought was a perfect solution for my daughter which was a nature school you know as soon as all that stuff happened started happening they were the first ones to say zoom school you know they were you know enforcing the diapering you know so i was just like ah, i thought i found my people here but so it was no surprise to me that I needed to do something else. And this was just a push. And this mom, you know, nothing happens by accident. There are no coincidences. Meeting this mom was actually the universe's way of showing me that there was another way and solution to what I was looking for. So really the intention when we started Luminary Village was not so to create what we did. It was really like we needed to find like-minded families to get the ball rolling and also carry a sense of normalcy for our kids because a lot of us had families um, and we didn't want our kids to feel the wrath of this like social isolation that was happening. And, you know, this Zoom school that was happening with the children just was not good enough for me. And I wasn't going to allow my daughter to participate. 
in that, you know? So miraculously, I mean, I just remember writing that flyer and thinking, are we going to find like-minded people in the East Bay? Cause at that time I, I had maybe a couple of friends and these friends were from another community activism that I was in um, previously. Um, and they were the kind of, kind of people that would question things anyways. So it wasn't no surprise to me that I connected with them and asked them to join me in forming this village. But, you know, quickly, it just was such a, I mean, so quickly it happened that we started attracting more and more people every week. And it was bigger than what we thought it was going to be. It quickly tur turned into something more of uh, people just wanting to find connection of, with like-minded people and people that had, hadn't touched or held hands with anybody or hugged anybody for so long. And they were just like, so relieved, just like how I was when I went to Santa Cruz, you know, just to be around people, you know, who were carrying on with life and we're not into the disempowering narrative. So it was just crazy how it happened and how, you know, it transformed into what it is now, which is a village of over 500 people who are just creating the new earth and trying to continue to love, live our best lives. Maybe Oksana can take, she can, can answer the first question as well. We're just discussing any of, anything you want to share about your background, some things you can tell us about yourself and how you came to be involved in the project. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's always like when it's my turn to talk, guess what? My kids are starting to move, <laughs> but it's all good. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's part of our life as mothers, but um, I mean, just to make it clear, I'm, like forever grateful for what Mercedes and Tiani, she was another founder, did because this is like I'm probably gonna cry about it, but every time I look back into that moment when I found them, and I'm probably gonna speak from many people right now, especially those who joined. So I joined them probably like a year ago. And it was so I was isolated for much longer, right? And I was trying to find so like like-minded people and it was not easy. I'll talk about it. But I just want to talk about the moment when I found them. I walked into the park where they had a gathering and I see maybe like 50 or 60 people. And you need to understand people still don't get together, right? People still like isolating. They go to parks wearing masks. They like do the six-foot distancing and I see this beautiful group of people who share food, who hug each other, who laugh together. And there is nothing like just that group. And there is no one in the park, pretty much. And I'm like, what is this? You know, I really thought that I'm just dreaming because it was so dystopian. You know, it's like all the Russian dystopian novels that I read, they came alive because I'm like, who are these people? Like, they're, they're so great. And the the best part for me was that it's intergenerational. So it wasn't just, you know, like families with kids or just young people. Literally, there were people, older people. And especially during that time, there was this narrative, you know, like you're going to kill grandma, all those things. And then here I see those happy grandmas and grandpas, you know, they all happy, no like distancing, no masking, nothing. So for me, it was a big relief because going back how it all started for me and i think in a way me and mercedes were similar because what she's referring to as a community who was more or less like-minded is actually the community that was against vaccines even before COVID, 
Um, and it was pretty big community at that point. And I was part of it as well. Uh, and but was, what was interesting when pandemic started, it, it's just like that community split up as well. They, they were so against the vaccines before, but because of all this fear, they started to question, you know, question their beliefs. And I was like, no, wait a second. You know, how is it different? It's the same, you know, let's just look into that. And I remember, well, one of the places where we would connect with those mothers and families would be Facebook. And I remember, you know, posting there because I thought, well, where else do I go? I was posting there and saying, hey, we need to stop this. You know, let's get together. We need to start a school or something. Our kids cannot be part of this. You know, it's going to harm them. And people couldn't understand. They were like, what do you mean? No, like, this is wrong. And so my kids, uh, unlike Mercedes's daughter, they were part of regular school. And again, when I say regular, you know, and I come from Russia, I have, I don't have American schooling experience. So when I come from Russia, came from Russia here, I, I kind of understood that I cannot just send them to a regular public school. And I did my best to find, you know, the best school I potentially could see for them. And it was like project-based, a charter school. And I thought that they're going to be in a good place, especially in comparison to like some of Russian schools. But what happened is that when Zoom classes started, Part of me actually very thankful that I was able to listen and observe what was going on because the interesting part is that it all started as a my reaction like I didn't want my kids to be masked but then when I saw them teaching them on zoom I understood that it's not about masks it's like literally an indoctrination camp what they teach them. And my youngest son, he was at that point in kindergarten. My jaw dropped, literally. And as, I mean, clearly the whole Zoom setting is also very harming. And um, yeah, and I was very desperate. I even thought we're going to move to Texas. And I had this moment in my life where I flew to Texas, I came back and I was just like, and Texas at that point actually didn't look any different, really. Um, so I came back and I was like, well, what do I do? I felt like there is no solution. And all my friends, those who were against it, they just moved instantly to other states or to their families and other friends, they were still, you know, fearful. So I, I literally remember the day when I was so desperate that I was like, okay, this is my last chance. Just gonna post what I envision on Facebook, and I post, you know, I wrote everything. I'm like, this is how I envision the school should be for kids, and no mask, no temperature check, nothing. Like teachers don't have to wear a mask, and I want to build it in my backyard. I just want to have, you know, this amount of kids, and we can we can do it. So people started to respond, and they were like, "What do you mean? What do you mean no masks?" Like, and and I added postscriptum this is how I think it should be. Please don't ask. Don't like, don't judge me. I'm only talking to people who understand this concept. And basically I, I, I get this message from Tiani that says, call me. And I'm like, yeah, I like it. You know, it's not like, Oh, let's talk about it. It's like, just call me. And you need to understand that Mercedes and Tiani at that point, they already like pros in vetting people. 
So she, I call her and in two minutes, we like know that we're on the same page. And I don't know if you have experienced that, but at the beginning of lockdowns, you literally had to do, I call it like pandemic dance when you like, hey, uh, you know, what do you think about that? What about this? You know, and then you're like kind of trying to hug them or like, you know, <laughs> so so with her in two minutes, we were like, okay, we're on the same page. She invited me to the gathering and I was so happy to find them ever since I was like coming every Sunday. And um, I think that's when we were aligned on, and my kids started to go to the forest school as well first. And it was just twice a week. And then that's how we aligned on the vision that we need to, expand this program and create indoor as well program and yeah we started to work on that and then um yeah and i mean it was it's it's been a lot of things but that's how i ended up here i don't know just ask me questions if something is not clear i'm wondering if i could just jump in before andy and and uh, jesse just ask a question i just i for some time i i worked in the uk i I joined the intentional community. I joined uh, families and I worked for some time in some unschooling movements or forest schools, as well as other influences like Summerhill um, um, school movements. I'm sure both of you are yeah. familiar with that. And I got a lot of exposure to these families. And one of the motivating factors that I remember um, when I was there in Wales, um, I was traveling with him because it was a circus that I traveled with around the UK for music festivals. And then we were in Wales as a established location. One thing that I remember was most common was parents motivating factor was their children was what drove them to this change, to this, to want a better future for their children. You know? And I'm curious what for you both and what you have shared with us and through the email and um, what, what was that motivating factor? Because Mercedes, you 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 worked as a as an occupational therapist. You were working in an institution, right? You were actually first started off in the mainstream um, established institution of our society, and so suddenly this other way of living, this other side, suddenly is completely different from what um, you know all the health protocols, all the way that we are used to in mainstream society is not acceptable. You just suddenly, how, what is, what gave you that, um, that, that, that inspiration? What touched you, moved you, inspired you to do this? Um, I think for myself, really working in healthcare over like 15 years, you start to eventually realize, um, you know, you start to see things a little bit differently, especially when I got pregnant and I thought, I just started looking at things a little bit deeper. So whereas I was in healthcare, I feel like I was more in a superficial kind of like healthcare position where um, nobody around me really embraces health when you work in healthcare. I mean, you can go to the doctor's office and see. Everybody has enough different idea of what health looked like. So once I got pregnant, I just started to look at everything a lot more. And one of the things that really opened my eyes was I was every year, you know, like clockwork, it was time to get my you know, a uh, little injection in the arm there. No problem. Never ask any questions. Here you go. Go to the nurse's desk, get, get it. But once I got pregnant and I started thinking, well, I'm just going to just think a little bit more about everything I do, what I'm eating. I mean, I didn't know what that looked like. So referencing books like Ina Mae Gaskin and just really wanting to embrace like more of a holistic, natural lifestyle, like I had always envisioned when I work in healthcare, but then realizing 
that's not really about that in healthcare. So I, I saw my path totally getting away from the mainstream and especially that natural childbirth rabbit hole. That was a heavy one for me because I looked at it and I thought, well, why do so many women have C-sections? I don't want to end up having a C-section. That's going to totally derail me from my natural childbirth plan. And then once realizing that what the medical system seems to really do is they treat um, pregnancy like a disease and they make women really feel disempowered. And they did it to me in many ways. Every time I went to a doctor's appointment, they scared me into, you know, getting, trying to get a flu vaccine, telling me if you get the flu, you could get a fever and, you know, you could die, your baby can die. And I mean, literally it got to the point where I just totally told them that I got it because I was tired of being harassed for like not getting it. So I quickly like knew that like I was going to have to empower myself with my own information, my own research. And that's what I did is I, I already knew what I wanted. I visualized what I wanted and I did never let them take me away from the path that I was going to take, which was having a natural childbirth in a hospital setting, which I didn't really want to be in the hospital, but my husband, this was all new to him as it was new to me. But I mean, he was more comfortable of having that, you know, everyone's like in case it's something happens and I'm okay. I was okay with that as long as I got to have the delivery I wanted. And I'll tell you, it was not easy because any way they could, they try to take control of my, my pregnancy, whether it was my blood sugar, whether it was, um, you know, getting the induced, I mean, anything they wanted to try to take over, they tried. And I just like roadblock them like, nope, not going to happen. Like. The moment that my midwife, and that's another thing too, is that like I thought, okay, well, let me go hire a midwife and get rid of my OBGYN because the OBGYN, she can actually approve and do a C-section if something was to happen. So I thought, all right, get the midwife, call the midwife. So I found this amazing midwife. And I mean, now that I know a little bit more, I mean, even when it comes to the midwifery, you still have to find people that are in complete alignment with doing the holistic thing. You know, she did. And the end, this was disappointing, even though she was amazing. She did tell me, um, you know, oh, you know, you're, you're past your due date. And I was maybe a week past my due date. And now I realize that babies do not have a due date. They have a guesstimate date. And they can be born at 43 weeks. They can be born at 39 weeks. It's just, they come when they come. So they scare you with the fear tactics of your baby's going to be too big, you know? Um, and she was, she was nine pounds, two ounces. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't, a, she wasn't little, but I mean, I did it. And that, that was the power of your keeping your mental strength. When these people try to derail you from the plan you want, um, and when she told me she wanted to induce me, I really went in my car and cried because I thought like, oh my God, this is how they're going to do it. I'm going to have to be induced. But I just like refocused, re-collaborated myself. I looked up some, um, some plans. Well, what could I do? I already did the pizza, the castor oil. Uh, you know, I just, I already went those other directions. I'm like, I need something else. So luckily this is what the universe does when you need it is it puts what you need in front of you. There was a woman who was specializing in acupuncture and she was a doula at the same, you know, at the same time. And so, well, I don't know whatever she did, but whatever magic she did, I went into labor at 6am and had my daughter at 6pm. So it was just in a matter of like 12 hours later. Um, yeah, I, that's, <laughs> that's what I did. And I had my baby the way I was supposed to. So yeah, and then it just keeps going from that. Then you think, okay, well, I had my natural childbirth. Okay, 
I mean, yeah, I said I was going to make all the baby food. That didn't really happen. Oh, yeah, organic everything. <laughs> organic baby food, but. Closed just, diapers. Mm-hmm. Did you do the closed yeah, close? diapers? I did all of that. It wasn't, it wasn't the right path for me for everything. But, yeah, I did as much as I could. But, I mean, it's amazing when you take the path less traveled, how much resistance you get from people around you saying, why would you not get an epidural? Why don't you just use regular diapers? Oh, you're going to try, you're going to do the breastfeeding and breastfeeding. I mean, you know, I don't want to go too much into this, but (laughs) when people say like, oh, you know, it's the best thing. Just, you know, they just get on the boob. No problem. I had trouble and I was really hard on myself and I almost gave up and I'm lucky that I had the right support um, because I was able to, to finally get her lash on correctly. But, you know, Nobody tells you all of the struggles that mothers really face, especially when they want to take the path less traveled, you know, because so many people were just like, just get the formula, just get the formula. And I just, you know, based on the research I had did, it just, it wasn't going to be okay for me. It's okay for anybody else. I'm not judging anybody else, but for what I wanted to do, this was my path. So. Did that answer your question? <laughs> How did you end up with breastfeeding? That's what, ma- that's what mothers do, you know. Every conversation. Talk about the boobs. <laughs> I mean, I do want to hear Oksana's answer to that because because the question we've asked a lot of our guests is sort of the question we ask ourselves: is why why did we see this period different? What why did some people people who I know and respect and love and think are smart they went one way, and why did I go this other way? It's not that I'm smarter. It's not. So what answers that for me? And the thing I hear in your story is you had to struggle. You really had to struggle to fight and hold on to your beliefs in the face of things. And I do think for a a number of people who they had that moment where they had to be alone and be in that struggle. And and sometimes they had to be defeated even sometimes. But but to to carry on on your own path forces you sometimes to believe in yourself before you're going to believe in somebody else telling you something. So that's what I, that's what for me is what I hear so strongly in that story, um, and I I don't know much about the childbirth um, process. I know that Jessica knows someone who has has experience in that. We were actually hoping to interview her sometime because there's a lot a lot of supposedly really interesting stories about the the world you can learn about from how it approaches women in giving in them giving birth. So yeah, yeah, it's a whole rabbit hole. It is. Yeah, it I've is. been t- I've been telling these guys. I think we need to do a whole show. So maybe you'll come back again. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I, mean, I do. I mean, I just want to say, like, I think it. I'm so glad that you're highlighting that in this context because I think, in some ways, right, like birth is like the OG medical coercion, just the whole thing, right? Like, and that's how a person's life starts. Right, exactly. is this like highly, highly, highly surveilled, medicalized, uh, oftentimes like very patriarchally dominated, right? That's how you start your life, right? And then we kind of wonder, like, why are so many people around us so brainwashed? Like, why are they not seeing this, right? Like, that's that's how it starts. Like, that's how your life starts, and then you go through whatever, however many years whether it's the school system, politics, whatever, right? Um, but I just think it's it's such a fundamental, um, I don't know, thing. Um, so I'm just, I'm just so glad that you highlighted that. And, but, um, I, and I do want to get to Oksana's journey there, but it does remind me because as a teacher, I've had to deal with essentially 
a set of workers who in my mind have been ideologically broken, right? Like workers should be independent. And this set of workers has been broken. Like they are completely bought in. And, and it's interesting that it sounds like this medical experience is a way of breaking mothers, is a way of breaking them so that they don't have to get to the kid because they already got to the mother and then the kid will follow. So it's very interesting to hear it put this way and the way that Jessica is putting it as well. No, I think it's, I'm, I'm just going to kind of piggyback on all of um, everything that you said right now. And I always kind of share my experience a little bit different because, you know, I'm immigrated here nine years ago and um, like, where do I even start? So in, in, in Russia, for example, there is still freedom of choice. Like you would think, oh my God, Russia still have a freedom of choice. What you put in your body on the body of your child, right? So, so when, when I moved here, because I mean, in general, of course, like a lot of people immigrate because they think, oh, you know, America, democracy, freedom. And uh, I mean, I'm glad Mercedes actually ended up talking about pregnancy because I uh, immigrated when I was 30 weeks pregnant. And um, I actually didn't have to get all my jabs caught up because I was pregnant in Russia before I came here. But that's what they ask. When you immigrate, you have to be like on the schedule. And we didn't even research if we can say no, because, you know, you're like just so attached that, oh, I need to get there. And uh, so my ex-husband, he got jabbed. I didn't because I was pregnant. And when we came to California, actually, because of home birth, uh, I had this idea that oh where do I go in America where they support home birth of course California right so when I got here um, when I got here it was kind of late already in pregnancy and it was hard to find a midwife but I did find this beautiful place and I actually want to mention them because I think for many women it can be a great path in Bay Area it's called uh, Pacifica Birth Center when you can actually have a baby in their center and it's very close to hospital, you know, in case you have any anxiety about that. And so when I came, my birth plan also didn't come to fruition and I was, it was emergency C-section. And I think that's the time when I realized that I don't have authority over my decisions and over my body because I honestly, like I was shocked for the first time with my own ignorance, you know, because I just don't know so many things. And that's what they use, you know, because we're not educated. We didn't educate ourselves on things. That's what they use. They just kind of, you know, sign this paper. This is the decision. You know, they just push you on that path. And because I'm so ignorant because I, you know, I, think I trust this you know they're doctors we should trust them and again I come from Russia you know like it's always this comparison that well it's an American hospital of course it's better you know like of course they know what they're doing and um yeah and that's when I agreed to everything and it was what it was but I think it was also the beginning of my journey and coming from Russia and knowing that we don't have to jab our kids and my mom never jabbed my sister, for example. Uh, I was already on delayed schedule and I would say no, but uh, something that I think Mercedes didn't mention, it's also not just the external world that pushes you, but also sometimes internally, you know, like my ex-husband, he was not 
uh, on the same level about all that. So we had a lot of, you know, confrontation. And basically it was our first joint decision about, you know, our child firstborn. How do you navigate that? So he would say, of course he needs like vaccination. And I would say, no, like it's not necessary. He's a tiny baby, you know, like we don't like, I mean, what do you mean hepatitis vaccine? Like, I mean, we live in California, for God's sake. <laughs> but um, so I think I also kind of, you know, again, looking back now, I understand that I didn't stay strong in my beliefs and I submitted and we did have him vac vaccinated. And what stopped me was that he had seizures. And at that point, I never, I really, I didn't even connect it right away until I looked into our, you know, history. And he was only probably like two and a half or two years old. And I'm like, how come we had so many trips to ER? There was always something, you know, always something. And when we go to ER, when we go to pediatrician, they don't say anything. You know, they don't give you answers. All they say like, eh, you know, it happens. Do you want antibiotics? I'm like, no, I don't. Like, I want answers. That's what I want. <laughs> and like all those ER trips with uh, things like croups, ear infections, you know, I was like, is this how babies are? You know, aren't they supposed to be healthy? Like, why my baby is always has something? So I think after seizures, that's when I was like, you know, I'm done. Like, I'm, we're not going to vaccinate him. This is ridiculous. But then like moving forward, here's like I started to have those red flags and I remember two of those. So by the time when he was supposed to go to school, I think uh, Mercedes, tell me what I always forget the number of that bill that came from Disneyland situation with measles. 276? Yeah. 277, I think. That yeah. was the first one. Yeah. So I think that a lot of families were kind of a little bit advanced in this topic because because of that bill when it took away the medical exemption from kids in order to go and get educated at school and at that point I was like wait a second I just moved from Russia to this country to this most liberal state because because I thought there is a freedom of choice and now I'm told that my child needs to be vaccinated unless he has a medical exemption, but like, you know, very limited amount of people can give you that exemption in very limited cases. I'm like, this sounds too familiar. You know, this is, sounds too familiar. I think I've heard about those tactics from my grandparents or like I read it through history and uh, history books or literature. So that got me thinking already. And um and I think the second moment, and I'm sorry, I'm going to bring up politics, but uh, second moment was when Trump was elected. And honestly, I was so into motherhood that I really didn't pay attention to that much. But what I did see is that, you know, there was a lot of hate. Like you couldn't mention Trump. You couldn't say I voted for Trump here in liberal California because you would be just, you know, I was like, this is wrong. You know, it shouldn't be like that. I, I thought freedom is when you free to express your opinion, you know, you're free to have a healthy discussion. And it was not like that. So all of that definitely were my early awakening moments. And of course, when the pandemic happened, um, I think for me, it was all right, like right from the beginning, there was no fear. It was just mostly, okay, what's happening? 
I need to, you know, kind of remove myself from the fear, from all these emotions and news. Luckily, I mean, we don't have TV or anything, so that doesn't matter. Of course, we have internet. But um, I think that's one, like you said, Andrew, you know, you go into diff- you kind of isolate yourself in order to explore your own blank spots. That's what I was doing. I think entire lockdown and I still did go out, you know, and did my things. But most of the time I did this internal work. I was like, what's happening? You know, I need to explore this. I need to understand where where my ignorance come from, you know, why they're able to do what they do because I'm the one who is giving them permission to do that. Right. So I think that's where I end up like during lockdown, I was just, okay, I'm going to learn everything I can. And of course, like Mercedes said, uh, my surrounding, including my closed ones, they were like, you are crazy. What are you talking about? And that's, I think, one of the common stories. If you come to Luminary Village, especially at the beginning, you know, the new people would come and you're like, welcome. And you say, are you black sheep of your family? And they're like, yes, you know, they all rejected me. So that was a very common story and pattern. And I feel like it was really nice because, you know, everyone would just embrace you and kind of held you so you can release all those stress and emotions and like rejection you know and if you hear this noise that's my child jumping on the ball <laughs> crack down on that family <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I was just thinking I mean I just want to hear more more about Luminary Village you know more specifics and how like how it came to be because you made it sound really easy Mercedes when you described it at the beginning but I know it was not um but I wonder maybe as kind of a way in um because there might be people listening who don't maybe aren't familiar with that term of like an intentional community uh I think I mean even like my mind has kind of been open the past few years and just from meeting different people and hearing different experiences I think there's kind of like a stereotypical idea of like a oh, an intentional community as this like mystical like hippie commune or whatever right um and in reality I think I mean it could be there's infinite ways to do it right so I, I would love to hear you know from either one of you or both of you like what does that term mean to you and then you know maybe we can get into more specifics about um about Luminary Village. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because my uh, partner, Tiani, uh, she was super against the word hippie. So anything associated with hippiness, she was like, you know, and, and I started to embrace my inner hippie. In fact, I was like, you know what? What's wrong with hippies? Like, you know, but we just had different views on that. I call myself a high maintenance hippie. I'm not. <laughs> um, but yeah, when you say the intentional community, I feel like uh it is kind of overused in a way where it's like, well, what does that really mean? Because intentional community, one place can mean something totally different than another. But the bottom line is that we're all here with our right to choose. And we're all here to respect each other's truth, whatever that may be. And we're all here to support one another in their truth, whatever that may be. Because I'll tell you, we don't all see things the same. We're just, in a, we're just a community who supports people questioning things and still uh, creates and saves space for you when you want to explore those. You you may find that some of it is 
not in alignment with you. And we have lost a lot of people since we started, you know, we have people at flux and flows, you know, one event will have a hundred people and the next event will have 20. And, and I will say as things started to open up more and more freedom was allowed from the masters, um, we did lose those people, which was sad to me because it was like, I always knew um, I was still going to be around. Like I always knew I was going to continue on this path of surrounding myself with people who were, you know, loving and kind and creative and here to build the new earth. And they weren't going to be disempowered by these narratives that were continually dividing us. And, um, and I just stuck to that. And even though, yeah, there's been a lot of, I'll tell you this last year has been really trying on me because Oksana works more in the like event space, which she can open up about. And I'm more concerned about running the learning village. So the challenges that that's presented with has been things that I don't think I could ever have prepared myself for. But at the same time, um, I'm not as scared of failure. And, I'm, you know, I think failure is an amazing uh, time for learning and growth opportunities. Um, and you're never going to get it right your first time. So the way we do things our first year is different the second year. And then from then on and then on. And if you keep stay stagnant, then you're dead. I mean, you know, even our document for our manual, it's a living document. And we tell people that like every year we have to go revise it and change things and take things out because, you know, as much as you like, as much as I don't want to be part of that, like, system of policies and procedures it just has to even with intentional communities you have to intend to put things out there so that things can run smoothly if not then people just you know oh i'm going to sign up no i'm going to drop out um oh i'll show up no i won't show up you know so we're really trying to navigate what that looks like in this new earth capacity where we're still holding people with agreements and not using that contractual word where it's like you know you're here because you want to be here it's a voluntary relationship you know, nobody's forcing you to be here. You know, you're here because you want to be here, basically. Yeah, I wanted to add to that, that um, I think one of the major lessons running, and, and just to clarify that uh, Luminary Village has a lot of uh, departments, let's call it this way. So we have uh, we have Luminary Village gathering. That's, that's the place that is open for everyone. And that's we we get together once a week, and usually we just have a potluck conversation, networking. We have uh, speakers from the community. You know, sometimes we do some activities, and basically it's run by the community because they offer something. You know, for kids, adults, and um, that's how we you know meet new people. And to this day, we actually have new people and have people who didn't have a community and they still, you know, they still come, they somehow learn about us. And that it's interesting that, you know, before we started recording, Andrew said, oh, it was hard to find you, you know, I couldn't find you. But somewhat, it was somewhat intentional sometimes that we didn't like put out the info like that. And we were trying to make sure that people were invited or like they actually somehow found their way into, you know, into this uh, gathering. And another part of uh, village is uh, our learning center. And it's, it's a huge part. It's that's like the core because that's how it all started with this intention to create new earth for kids. And where do we start? Of course, how are we going to teach them? And uh, it first started as a just a forest program, forest school, and then we expanded into this uh, program that actually consists right now. I think, I mean, I don't know, Mercedes can correct me, but I think we have about 
probably 60 kids right now, right? Total. Give or take, yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, from age three to age, I think the oldest is 14 right now. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's a, it's a big community of families. And uh, we have seven teachers. And uh, it definitely, in August when we started, we called it Startup because, you know, it's all run by families, run by us. It's, it's a cooperative effort. And with the intentional community part of it, I think one of the lessons that we learn, it really has to come. People have to join from a position of their own sovereignty and that they are responsible for themselves. That's something that we encourage. We are not leaders who's going to tell, you know, we, we don't want to repeat the same system. You know, we're not going to tell you what to do or like, you know, uh, we we invite people to collaborate together, you know, to co-create together. And um, and we don't provide like a solution where, you know, oh, I'm just going to drop off my kids, you know, drop off so they can teach them. No, it's like you really have to be involved and intentional about what do you choose for your child? And that's what we invite people to do when we talk, I think, about intentional community. And Understand also, and I think Mercedes mentioned that, that through this two years, not two years, roughly two years, maybe less, we, we saw people dropping out because it wasn't their core value to belong to a community, you know, and they, they would come just because of necessity, because they didn't have anyone at all. And when there were challenges like, oh, now the traffic is back, you know, I cannot come. So we could see that, oh, okay, clearly the value was so low that, you know, now it's all those obstacles not letting people go. So uh, I think it's honestly, it's, it's better this way because now we know who are sharing this value of community with us. Did I talk too long? <laughs> Don't worry, they're going to cut half of it off. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So I don't know if this question is out of place because I'm I'm I like Jessica am fascinated by what you've done. I do kind of want to know like what your life cycle, what the life cycle has been like, almost like from birth to like what sort of what's been the ups and downs. How did it grow? Those sorts of things. So that's one question. And there's these as a person who's been an organizer and been in a union, been in political organizations. There are words like democracy and consensus and voting and transparency and those people so i want to know if that if those words matter and i'm being i'm being like i don't know now right i'm kind of open to the idea are those important words in a thing like what you're doing or are they actually sub like not that important in terms of how people collectively make a decision so um i hope that question makes sense because um, no, totally. I totally get it. Yeah. It's just funny that you, you throw those words out there because as much as I said, like we try not to align ourselves with the systemic stuff that we're so accustomed to. We also realize that like, you know, there is a matter of checks and balances and a way to maintain order. So um, one of the things about growth too, the good, the great thing about like my uh, partner that I had, Tiani, she was really into growth. She was really into let's make this big or I was more of like, 
let's make this foundationally strong and then be scalable, scalable and then grow. But it was great because what her vision helped us do was really attract a great number of people so that we could like fine tune and really hone in on developing um, the, the alternative education program, which I was so passionate about. I mean, I was, I'm really passionate about that. I'm on fire with that. If you want me to be honest, but um, like I said, in the beginning, I just always knew that I wanted an alternate path for my child and the collaborative approach is really important in what we're doing. So we want people's opinions, but at the same time, we also know that we have to make some decisions sometimes. And we don't always go to the consensus for everybody and everything, because if you do that, then you're going to get stuck with people's feelings and things just go on and on. So we have come to this understanding of what's called sociocracy, which we're really interested in. And we did work with somebody early on to help us establish what our mission was. And that's how we came up with that beautiful um, reading that Eduardo wrote in the beginning, um, you know, their intergenerational community. And that was a process. I mean, it's not easy to sit with a group of people who you don't really know very well and come up with a vision, your values, you know, your, your, the mission statement. I mean, that was hard work and it took a lot of us getting deep within what we really wanted. And, you know, and everybody had a different opinion, obviously, but what ended up being created was something so beautiful. Whereas this council that was meeting and getting together, we were working on like, okay, what does this look like, you know, in five years and asking ourselves questions so that we just weren't like living moment to moment, which, you know, I have a tendency to be that kind of person that just kind of wants to be free and free spirit and <laughs> not have to be committed to too many plans. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it was very helpful because it really helped us to continue our trajectory. And every year it's growing into something different, you know? Um, yeah. So whereas Oksana said, it started with just like, the gatherings on Sunday, which have been, you know, for me, because I've been doing them for so long, I did get burned out of showing up on Sundays. And I mean, although it was a great way to meet new people, it's also sometimes very emotionally draining when you're the point of contact and everybody's coming to you and they're just unloading all of their fear and stress. I mean, people were crying sometimes and it was just like, I had been hearing that for so much. So I'm so happy that Oksana came and started taking that role over because I was just like getting to the point where I, I didn't want to vet them in that way anymore, where I was more like, okay, let's focus on what can you provide for the community? And what do you want to see? What changes do you want to see happen within what we're doing here? So that it wasn't so much on bringing that disempowering narrative to us. Although I know they wanted to express it. I also just got burned out of, you know, always having to, to hear it for like two years. <laughs> yeah. And I can say that I think a lot of that shifted as well. And like what we're trying to do right now is actually as a community, you know, learn new skills, support each other. Um, and, and I, we always say that we are not activists. Like we don't position ourselves as activists and, at the same time, we have a lot of people in the community who are, and we're always very thankful for what they're doing. But I feel like we try to put our energy into building new things and um, encourage people to find um, their passion and how we can support them. Uh, because this community gives a lot of opportunities, you know, and I mean, even right now, we can already see that some people collaborated with each other. They created smaller group, groups that like, they have their own, you know, theme, what they do. And I think it's beautiful that we just 
it's almost like that place, uh, the hub, you know, where people meet and then they understand what they want. They meet those people that more aligned with them because basically, yeah, luminary village gatherings is place for everyone to come. And then you realize, Oh, I guess I'm more aligned with these people or that people. And, um, at the gatherings, I don't think we have any, I think it's like co-creation is our motto, not so much democracy or consensus. It's more co-creation. If you come up with this impulse or this idea and say like, oh, I want to do this, uh, you're going to be in the right place because we're going to say, awesome, let's do it. You know, how can we support you? And I think that's at this point, that's what I, that's how I want to move conversations at Luminaries because at the end of the day, if you go down all the rabbit holes, including the energy one and high, you know, more like a high level, not political level, not philosophical, religious level, but energy level, even when you unload and like, you know, talk about how, oh, did you see this and that, you know, we have our little channel where people do that. And I feel like your energy still goes towards the same agenda. You know, we're not discussing things of, oh, how can we make it better? Or how can we make it different? And our energy still goes into, you know, just talking and talking about those, you know, those news and that, those news. So that's where I think we're shifting at this point. And yeah, there's nothing rigid, just like Mercedes said, like every season, every month, every weekend can be different, you know. And different people come and they add different energy and they add different um, ideas. And um, yeah, I mean, I feel like at this point, maybe when we talk about our learning center, this is more of a place where we're going to learn how to come to solutions together, you know, how to find that agreement. But luckily, and it's, it's an interesting point for us, uh, I think back in January when we had our meeting with with parents, we ask them a question. Hey, we want to continue this next year. Are you going to bring your kids back? And is it not because it was a temporary solution when your kids couldn't go to school? You know, like recent, I think only recently they unmasked all the kids in schools. So we asked them that and they said, yeah, we want to participate. It's not anymore a temporary solution where our kids not going to wear masks, you know, and uh, don't have to face all this uh, indoctrination things. Um, so, and we were, we were so excited. And I think we became even more aligned in, in our views, how we want to continue, what we want to create for our kids. And uh, I think this is something that's going to be our new chapter where we're going to learn how to navigate, how to talk. You know, we have seven teachers. They're all amazing. We have a curriculum. I don't know. I would say director probably we, we can we have a person who offers this new uh, approach on pedagogy that we're gonna develop and um, I think it's just amazing how once you know what you want and truly know your passion it all you know become very aligned and it doesn't any, anymore it doesn't matter you know pandemic whatever you know the the whole 2030 agenda you kind of of course you pay attention to this but you still keep moving in the direction that you're going to move and one of the questions that i ask during gatherings sometimes is like 
let's imagine everything is over. Will you still come to this place? Will you still want to talk to these people? You know, are they actually the people who you align with? And I think it's not about like responding to that question. It's just more like understanding, are you in the place where you want to be, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to say something about that word co-creation um, because in my in my last years involved as in, in my union, um, I did come to see that union leadership was not doing anything good, but even that members would say, what is the union doing? And that was something outside of themselves. But then even at our local site at Mission High School, where we were like, we well here here we are let's we're doing something and even the notion of voting i was like why do we have to vote if no one's doing anything like there's nothing to vote about and i did start to come to this notion that well if this teacher wants to do this then that's what we're doing like those of us who want to do what that teacher's doing and then if somebody else wants to do this other thing and it did start to that was the view i started to have but then we would often look and say well does the contract allow us to do that another way we were bound you know we were we were setting our own shackles on ourselves being and i started to say well, why do we have to worry about that why can't we just do what we want to do but it, one one of the things the reason our union could say it's democratic as possible but if you don't have that in, that initiative from your own membership then that democracy it barely doesn't exist whether you call it consensus vote or 50 50 51 or super majority all that i'm starting to see doesn't really matter if you don't have the creation coming from the bottom then it's it's pointless so that co-creation word i really i really like yeah i i can i can speak about that i think two points that you mentioned about like being constrained by the system and that's what i think we love right now about the learning center it's it's like a blank page you know but it's just Re reimagine everything and we don't have and and it's not easy actually because i think at some point we were like oh actually you know a lot of things that regular school system use kind of make sense you know some like i mean for example the parents teacher meeting that's a great way to you know connect so we're gonna use it but a lot of things when it comes to the philosophy and vision and and the initiative, I actually, I think Mercedes can agree with me on that and probably Tiani would, that we, we experience a crisis of leadership, but not in a way that, you know, we need someone to tell people what to do. Not in that way, more of like, hey, I have this initiative. I want to do this. I want to build this. And definitely that was discouraging in many ways when you don't see that people People can talk about what you do, you know, and some people, some people are very helpful, right? They always support your idea. And, um, but sometimes what you need is that people who can come up with an idea, state it, and then, you know, actually execute. And that's what we trying to teach our kids. I think that they connected with themselves, connected, know how to critically think but also you know they like Mercedes said not hippies you know and I think by hippies it's like another conversation what do we mean by that but I think what I mean when I say that it's someone who can actually be you know I guess you call it um, like alignment and uh, being in, integrated on and 
help me with the word Mercedes. We put it on our vision. Uh, you know, when you can say things and do them, you know, not just say and ju- just being what the purpose. Yeah, the, I mean, the purpose is important, but also just be uh, intention, integrity, in- integrity. Yes, that's the word. I, I like advocate for integrity. You know, what you think, what you say, and what you do has to be aligned because oftentimes we even like during our meetings and I kind of joined already in the middle of um, like creation of the vision of the luminary. But I, I noticed that a lot of times, you know, we're just talking about those concepts and ideas. And then when we ask who's going to do it, <laughs> people disappear, you know, and um, I don't know I really, if you encountered that. I really appreciate that. Uh, as you said about the high maintenance hippie, because I really do think having experienced being an occupy and then having been in the UK with my hippie friends and then having also been in permaculture circles and seeing intentional communities. One of the things I have seen is the lack of organization doesn't somehow, I don't know, there is this thing about free spirit, but it also doesn't, once you get to the certain parts where you need to start organizing, that's the reason why I think Occupy disintegrated, no, because of the lack of organization. There was so many ideas, but there wasn't a cohesiveness, I felt. Um, Mercedes, I would like to uh, go back what you had said about education. What's the educational aspect that you said that you're involved in? I'd like to know what model or how it's influenced or how does it work, what you do with the children. And Because I haven't, having worked in education myself for the past 15 years in the school district here in San Francisco and then also working with children just in general, I, I always think to myself, like, I know I'm, whether I'm in an institution or whether I, whether I did a learning, I, we did an episode where I, did, I, I shared that I did a learning pod with students uh, over um, the last previous two years. And I try to think about what, I mentioned some influences, right? Like I'm the unschooling movement, uh, the Summer Hills uh, um, movement. And as well, I've heard about Waldorf and I've also heard about Montessori. Although really anyone can call themselves Montessori because it's not copyrighted. So everyone just throws that word around. But what, so what do you base your model or what do you, um, what do you influence or how, what, can you just share with us the, the, the part where you, you, you um, the educational aspect to luminaries? Yeah, sure. Um, so like I said early on, I've been really passionate about the education system and figuring out what that looks like for my daughter. And what I visualize is not the same as like what we're implementing because we are dealing with a multi-grade uh, you know, um, aspect of people. And one of the things I find really important when it comes to our children's education is this capacity to be immersed in nature. So really be comfortable with getting dirty. Like my daughter, since she was two, I think I mentioned, you know, I really let her gross motor development um, grow with within this environment of being able to take risk out in nature. So what that looks like for her at two and what that looks like for somebody who's 14 is completely different. But at the same time, it's providing these kids with a level of freedom so that they can learn to develop their own intuition. They can use judgment, all these life skills. I mean, the big picture to me is how do we turn our kids into, um, you know, strong willed, independent, critically thinking, um, 
kids so that by the time they're 18, they can go off and run. And it's not where at the point where nowadays they, they tell kids when they're 18, what do you want to do? What are you interested in? How am I supposed to know that? Because you've never given me an opportunity to really know myself. So the nature component is important to me because it takes away all the distraction. You know, we don't allow for, I mean, some kids have phones, the older ones, but we don't let kids sit there and play on their phone. They are there to learn things. Um, you know, the spectrum is wide as far as what they're learning, but a lot of it basically is what is around me, you know, safety wise, you know, the plant identification animal, whether it's poisonous or not, you know, insects. And then the older ones, they get to do things like fire making and they're building medicine bags and they skinned a deer and more like survival skills so that progression, uh, you know, changes as they get older, but the other component to that, and this is where we are struggling and we're coming to define ourselves. I, I love the idea of unschooling, but when you're trying to get a bunch of kids together and you want to do an unschooling approach, how do you do that? Whenever, when someone says, I want to learn about birds, I want to learn about ladybugs, I want to learn about snakes. So unschooling. So we are of a, a hybrid. We're trying to define ourselves more of a, of a hybrid where we are providing some structure there is going to be some expectation for you to participate actively, you know, unfortunately, um, due to Bay Area spacing and, you know, we don't have the environment that we dream about, which is like a farm. I mean, my dream setup is to have kids being able to learn about animals because all these life lessons that we want them to learn, whether it's compassion, whether it's assertiveness, self-confidence, they're not going to come from books. They're not going to come from the authoritarian style of somebody telling you what to what to know, what you need to study for. I mean, as you know, anything that you uh, want to know and really learn, it's come from because you wanted to learn it and it meant something to you. So that's what we want our kids to really take away from this education process is that we were listening to them and our curriculum develops as a combination of them, what they're, they're telling us and a combination of, you know, what we think is important for them to know. So beautifully weaving like uh, you know intuition with academics you know I don't really love the word academics but I know a lot of parents are really in alignment with that because they think oh what are they learning what are they learning but we also have to I mean for myself I've completely abandoned what that traditional theory uh, like looks like where it's like okay here's the science here's the math because there's science and math and reading and writing and everything we do I mean it's really just a matter of giving them life skills and building from there. And, you know, who's to say by, by the time our kids are like 15, 16, they're already doing apprenticeships. They're already taking college classes. They already know the trajectory of their life for the most part, because we've been listening to them since they were little and that we're interested and we want them to be interested in what they're learning and become passionate lifelong learners, because it doesn't stop when you're 18. We're all here because we've been reading something or we're passionate about other topics. That's how we get these discussions going. And that's the beauty of our curriculum is it's really developing as a result of sparking conversations that happen really organically within our small little group of people who are putting in the planning to the curriculum. So it's quite it's quite challenging because, you know, you do have the different ages, but we also, again, it's only challenging because we're looking at it that way of what the school system looks like. I mean, if you look at it, you know, you're dividing up the kids, you're teaching them how to be competitive by doing the grading system. For us, there's no grades, you know, um, you know, you come or you don't come. 
you know, you participate or you don't participate, you know, we're not forcing anybody into doing things that, you know, they don't want to do. I mean, granted, I'm sure. Okay. Some of them might say the older ones might say they want to play video games and look at YouTube videos all day. But I mean, that's the culture we're up against. That's why when it comes to philosophies, we really have to be dynamic into what we choose because, you know, we're not going to be able to appeal to older kids if we're going to go say, hey, we're going to do this no uh, screen time, just like the Waldorf inspired. And yeah, like you said, you have to, you, everyone throws the words around, but like, oh, everything you can take inspiration from, you know, I think there's some great things about Waldorf. I think um, a lot of like, you know, Montessori has some great aspects to it. Unschooling does. And I love that you said the Summer Hill. I, I watched that movie. I was just like, oh yeah, that's the, that's the setup right there. That's what I would love to have here. And we don't have anything like that here. I mean, they say that the Sudbury model is kind of similar, but no, the, the Summer Hill, that's, that's the dream spot. Maybe we can make it, you know, the announcement, you know, I work for creative agency, do marketing. So if you listen to us <laughs> and you know our place, we really, I mean, this is the dream that we have right now. Like Mercedes said, the setting that we have is not ideal. But again, you know, speaking of that, you know, aspect when you actually do something with whatever you have, that's what we did. You know, we had this opportunity, we jumped on it and we were like, of course, we don't have our dreamland yet we don't have the dream setting but we're just gonna do whatever we can right now and so if anyone knows of the place please reach out to us because definitely looking for ideal perfect you know environment for our kids and by the way i don't know if you're gonna see this but i wanted to show some pictures of our kids Aww. in the forest I don't know if you guys see, but this we'll is We'll put them. pictures. If you send it to us, we'll put it in yes. there. Yeah, so, yeah, we, yeah. We, we, we definitely can send you pictures and even some videos, I think. I mean, uh, because it's beautiful. And something I want to say as well to me. So I grew up uh, with my grandparents on the land. And when I found the found this forest, program i was just like oh my god this is the best because that's how my kids can leave my childhood they can get dirty they're gonna be in dangerous environment dangerous but uh you know they're gonna learn how to be part of the natural environment and that was amazing and when it comes to our indoor indoor program i think the way we started was you know using waldorf uh, approach and the montessori approach but after probably six months that's when we realized that it's in a way it's outdated or maybe we're just not fully merged into those concepts and we want to create something new and it has to be in a way you know we have this freedom to reimagine things you know is this working for us no okay let's just change it you know this week we were doing this it's not working we're going to change it next week you know we don't have anyone to ask permission for we're just here to create and adapt to our kids to this group of kids and that's why i i want to mention our amazing teachers those are brave people who actually exited the system they didn't know what's going to happen to them and it's interesting because we never posted i mean we did probably one post somewhere it was all through community how we found them you know and it's it's magical because it was pretty much, you, you know, this universal magic that the right people came and those people who didn't align when we interview them and talk to them, of course, they didn't stay. And that was great that 
they stayed with us and they now creating this vision for the for the learning center they now offering i mean they go beyond to you know you know to offer this vision and to understand how we're going to do it and speaking of approaches i think right now we're leaning towards uh i would say i think grace our curriculum director she calls it and mercedes can uh help me with that she calls it uh you know the chinese traditional philosophy so it's uh it's a lot of uh it's a lot of vision comes from that and it's about rhythm and how to be aligned with seasons you know and what every season bring and we're trying to now implement it through all age groups that they have and all programs in indoor and outdoor and teachers are in communication so there is no like disruption and we're going to also introduce parents to this concept so there is no you know sometimes what happens a child goes to school they learn something there and then they come home and it's a completely different environment right so we want to make it aligned and cohesive and make sure that parents actually share, you know they understand this vision and i think one of the points that i wanted to bring up is that we are a very unique group of people in a way because we don't share the same like religion for example right we don't sometimes we don't share political views but there is something common about us because we also i wouldn't call us like the we're not postmodernists you know we actually believe in spirituality we be- believe in power of universe and and i think that's that's actually very important for us that we know that greater power exists that we all have energy and um and everyone is free to define you know because there are so many aspects of that but it's just that that understanding that we all so powerful and we have this great opportunity to collaborate with with each other and that it's definitely going to create synergy so um that's what i wanted to I, add i have a question about the the, ha- the what happened to the wave of children that you so once school started opening up did you all see Mercedes, did you see maybe that students started returning back to school? Is that what happened? I, I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, so there was, I'm sure they found you all as a refuge, and then schools yeah. reopened, and then yeah. I'm so I'm sure because I had a learning pod that I thought we were going to continue. And by the way, just before there's three episodes that people can check out on, um, you know, tech in in education, and um, we also talk about alternative forms of education. Another episode, and then also the learning pod experience that I I was leading. So back to um, this, just what happened? I mean, I don't know exactly how it was sustainable was it after schools returned to, um, or reopened? That was always one of my questions in the back of my head. Like, are we just, um, are these people just here because they're opting out of, you know, the vaccines or the social distancing or the mask? But soon we came to realize the people that we did lose, although last year looked a lot different as far as the ages that we were serving. So we went from last year for only serving three to eight-year-olds to this year now three to 14-year-olds. So we added a whole new age bracket and we ended up getting, and I didn't think we were, we got the kids who parents pulled them out after the whole Zoom and after everything kind of, I mean, what's normal anymore, right? Now they're saying things are back to normal, but some schools are, you have to have a test. So I think the people that are with us now are pretty much with us for the long haul. Like Oksana mentioned, we asked them because 
One thing that I, I want to make clear is that what our community is really doing, it's not a matter of us like opting out of that system. It's a matter of us opting into something better for our children and, mm. and bigger and holistic. And I mean, I shouldn't say like better. I just think it's just more in alignment with what we want for our children, because some people may think the public school system is great for their children and it could be for them. But for us, it's definitely not an alignment for the kind of children we want to raise. And one thing that always comes to mind, too, is this collaborative approach. Parents really have to want to be a part of the learning process with, with what we're doing. It's not a matter of, like Hoxana said, drop your kids off, pick them up. We really want parents involved into what we're doing. So when we have this curriculum um, assist or this curriculum person helping us, this mother who's been so amazing at providing so much beautiful language and theory into what we're doing, it's important that it gets taken over. I mean, the parents are a part of that. They know what's going on. They can also carry over some things. And one of the big things that's come up, and this could be going off topic a little bit, but it's in an alignment with what we're trying to create, is that we really want everyone to be on the same page when it comes to like conflict resolution. So nonviolent communication, um, you know, these kind of things, we really want our parents from now on to start looking into um, working with somebody like that. So we have somebody set up or we're in the process of finding the right person that can actually work with the families because the new paradigm and the new earth is, is this collaborative approach when it comes to the parents, it comes to the mentors, it comes to the children, we're all in it together. So we want everybody to, you know, really be hands on with this learning and really be involved in this process so that you can help your children really retain, you know, what you want them to. And we, in a way, we have to unschool ourselves. Honestly. We have to totally unschool ourselves. We have to totally forget about the timelines and by this age, you need to know this because it's all going to happen when it needs to happen. You know, you really, one thing I've, I've noticed, you just can't rush children the way they're used to. I mean, that system of like, imagine, you know, how, how we, how it feels just every time you're involved in a topic and then the bell rings and you've got to go to the next one. It's like this constant interruption and also the need for people to be led so much. We want our children to be empowered with leadership and know that they all have the capacity to lead, you know, so that way they're not waiting for someone to tell them what to do. And, you know, they can make up their own decisions and their minds without, you know, having to rely on someone to tell them. And that that kind of behavior just really drives me crazy sometimes when people just don't want to just make a decision and go do it, you know, go lead. Like we always say, we're all about collaboration. If you have an idea, beautiful. Let's, how can we support you to do that? So. I wanted to ask a question and this is not the most like high vibrational question, but I want to ask it because I think I think there's a lot of people, especially, you know, triggered by the last couple of years, but just in general, there's a lot of people who would love to build something like this, or maybe something not like this, but to build something really of their own, or there's parents, right, who would want something like this for their children. But I think there's a lot of fear around, like the bureaucratic questions coming like from the outside, like homeschooling credentials, or um, finances, right? Like, how do you get a thing like this off the ground financially? Like, you know, um, parents who are working double jobs, right? But they they want something intentional like this. They want to be involved for their kid. You know, all of this, like, real world, in some sense, systematic um, stuff that you have to navigate on top of, like, the real work that you've been describing of, like, creating this thing 
collaboratively. And I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking back to like your, your initial story, Mercedes of your, your hospital birth and how you just at every turn were like, no, like I'm just holding true to my sovereignty and no, I'm not going to let you do this or that or whatever. Um, I don't know if like if that's a if that's a applicable metaphor, but yeah, like how have you kind of navigated some of that? Um, well, I will say that we are in a fortunate position to be able to do what we're doing with our families because it is almost like a private school cost, you know. I mean, not the same amount, but we are we are nonprofit, and I think one thing that I've learned over the past couple of years is I've learned to stand in my own power by taking some classes on you know natural law and being a sovereign person, you know being more sovereign and I own my body and then carrying that wisdom that we innately have and really losing that fear of being controlled by another third party agency or rules and regulations. And, you know, you really just have to be strong and walking your truth and knowing that you're in alignment with the law and that there is a law to protect you and how to navigate that. Like when the time comes, you know, we do work under a private membership association um, and we, feel like that provides us with a level of uh, protection that allows us, it's a members only, you have to be a member to participate in what we're doing, you know? Um, So yeah, there's a lot of things that can really, and that's probably why prior uh, to this, I wasn't really like trying to do it on myself by myself. You know, it was the last two years, the year of 2020 perfect vision that allowed me to really believe that like, this was the right thing to do. And I didn't have a, like an, another option anyways. Cause it was like, what does that look like now? Where can I, where can I send my daughter? And I didn't really love the idea of homeschool. Cause I don't like the idea of being at home and learning school. So <laughs> school is what somebody else teaches you. Education is what you teach yourself. And I think it's always evident, like, you know, when you look back, things that you really retain are the ones that you were passionate about and, you know, you were involved in that learning process. And and that's really the important part of what we're doing, too, is that, like, how do we engage our kids with what we're doing? You know, this is all about a level of, you know, engagement that that we really want our kids to be a part of. We want them having fun and we want them playing. You know, play has to happen, you know, throughout the entire, the entire part, we can't lose that sense. I think as adults, and that's the beauty about when you have children is that you don't have a choice. Your kids, kids are going to ask you to play with them. So, you know, you got to get into that playful set of mind too, and try to make sure that whatever you're trying to provide and this learning environment still has a level of playfulness to it, no matter how serious the things that you want to talk about are. But like what Oksana said, that's the beauty of like what we're creating is you just really have to like get outside of your head and forget all that, what you thought was the right thing to do and what was going to give your child the right foundation or what you thought gave you the right foundation and just delete it and just start from scratch. And then what does that look like? You know, what does that look like when you're just dreaming it up? And then you try to like go from there and really not let those the bureaucracy and, and when it comes to the finances, you know, there are people that do creative solutions. Like they do have um, parents who participate more as far as like a parent will be involved and do some more of the mentoring um, instead of like how we do it, where we hire mentors to work with our, our children. Some people will, Oh, well, I want to save money and I'm going to do the teaching. And so that'll be a show. A smaller cost for me. And we do want to get to the point where we can make it so that we have some type of scholarship program, you know, where we have, you know, a sliding scale and those who can pay more do pay more. And then we can offer that to somebody who wants to join us, you know, wants to be a member and maybe not be able to afford it. 
I wanted to add to that because I remember, you know, when the whole idea of pods started to circulate, when people were like, oh, what can I do for my kids so they can still socialize, you know, while doing like Zoom schools and stuff like that. I remember a lot of like uh, people who moved out of California and, and they would be like, like just create a pod you know just create a pod and i think the fact that we didn't know how much it's going to take effort you know and energy and everything actually helped us to create this because to be honest it's not easy and um in many ways like you know it's just and especially the fact that we don't come from the background necessarily you know of like business people or like organizational we, we don't have prof- we don't have education in that so we have to figure it out as we go but because we have so many people in the community who can offer that advice or like parents i mean parents have been doing you know the financial part of of this program and um i feel like i we actually encourage everyone to to do that and whenever someone reach reaches out we're like for sure we're like we're gonna tell you and help you you know whatever mistakes we made like something that we can offer we'll we will help you but also we don't want to discourage them because sometimes i feel like it turns into like oh this is this was complicated this was really complicated but uh you cannot be you know, you cannot forget that, yes, we walk on the ground, you know, there are things that need to be taken, we need to take care of those things. And um, the beautiful part is that we find those new solutions, just like what Mercedes said, the the private membership uh, association, that's something that I didn't know personally. And that's another thing that I think everyone has to explore and learn more about how to become sovereign, you know, how to understand what exactly how system operates and how to opt out from this public domain into private. And um, definitely that's something that helped us to create what we're creating. I mean, I, I also was wondering, I have questions around COVID, but I'm not sure if this is, is that all right? I mean, I really do want to know how you all survived that assault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fearless, Eduardo. I'm fearless. <laughs> I told you I made up my mind when I first heard that word. Is that I don't got time for COVID. Nope. I don't got time for that. And you know, I'll tell you also too, I have tried to get it. I have tried to expose myself. I'm not scared of this, you know, whatever it is that they're saying is out there. I'm not scared of it. I approach it head on. I have not followed any of the guidelines and I'm proud of it. And I still am <laughs> <have> not <laughs> contracted. Um, so, yeah, I don't know which part of your question. Talk about the backlash. I mean, first of all, do you all wear masks? Oh, Let's no, just go with the no, basics. No, no, we never. Do I've you never, all have to have kids that are vaccinated? No. And what right, is and, betting you guys right now? <laughs> yeah, I mean. And, oh, I, the I reason why I'm asking this is because a lot of people would say and assume, and we've we've countered a lot of this narrative here on what's left, and a lot of people would say, this is dangerous. What are you doing? Why would you expose yourself? Why would you expose the children? What is your response to all of that? Well, who defines danger? I mean, that's the other thing, too. It's all a matter of perspective. So uh, for myself, you know, because I am in healthcare and because I do understand a lot about I, I understand at a deeper level only because I've chosen to go there, voluntarily been that nerd that wants to know about viruses, contagion. So when people say things like, you know, I mean, I have my own family say things like that to me, you know, what you're doing is dangerous. I come, you're not 
doing what you're supposed to do. And that's why I had to delete my social media early on. Cause I just didn't want to even have to explain myself because I was walking a different path than them. And I, and I don't ever want to, at this point now, I'm never trying to make somebody wrong about their decisions. I think we're all entitled. This is why this is America. That's why people just like Oksana comes here because it's the land of the free, you know, and then now we're going into this, we're taking away that freedom now. And who are we if we don't have our freedom to, to choose what's right? I can't go and mandate people to eat sushi every Friday. It's like, it's like the same concept. It's like, okay, you know, it's just so weird when people tell me things like, you know, oh, you know, you're, you're putting everyone in danger. And I'm like, well, who, yeah, exactly. Who defines danger? What, why is it dangerous? Because, it, because of the so-called experts that you listen to, I have a whole group of experts that are telling me completely opposite. So we're all entitled to walk our own walk, get our, do our own research and make opinion, you know, make our decisions for ourselves. I don't want anybody influencing me what I need to do. And just like, I don't want to influence them. Whereas in the beginning, I, because I had did so much research on it, I really wanted to share with everybody that wasn't in agreement with me, like why they needed to agree with me. But eventually it just became so exhausting. Cause I was like, we're just on completely other sides of the spectrum. And I don't want to not talk to you anymore or you not be like close member to my close friendship or a family member to me at this point, because we don't agree on, on this, on these theories, you know? So it just, I gave up that, that fight and really more recently come to the term of just accepting people for who they are and who they are not. And it's not a matter of me being right or wrong because I could be totally wrong and that's okay. I'm okay with that. I would totally own that if that was the case, even though I'm not, but <laughs> just kidding. Um, we're all entitled to, to walk our own path. And that's the beauty of individuality and what we're trying to embrace and teach our community as well as our kids is like, you know, I'm sure there's many people in our community that were forced into getting the vaccine who didn't want to. Um, and that's just, you know, I lost my job in healthcare because, um, for early on, they told me they wanted to, uh, I had to do testing and I was, compl- I still have yet to take a test. Um, you know, I only will wear mask, you know, if I have to in a store, but yeah, I, I mean, it's just, it's not an alignment with what I think and identify as health. And, you know, that word health, it's defined differently with everybody. What, what me, what it means to me health or how I define it is completely can be completely different for somebody else. I think early on, we had these conversations with a lot of uh, people who came together. It's, it's, you know, because you have all this knowledge and love and you care for your neighbors, for your friends, for your family members, right? You're just like, I'm just going to tell you everything I know. And they would just be like, whoa, 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 you know, what are you doing? And the... And it was, it caused a lot of, uh, I don't know, it caused a lot of pain for a lot of people that we, we met because, you know, not being able to be heard. And I think, but later on, we understood that one of the approaches to when there is this backlash is actually just ask right questions. That was like one of the greatest uh, advice that I got. Don't try to feed them with answers because they're not going to value this. They didn't do that research. They didn't go and uh, look for themselves. So the questions actually help them to navigate, you know, and start thinking. And honestly, 
maybe I wasn't that good with questions. I don't have that many friends who would flip, but I definitely heard those stories and people got more open uh, to, you know, what we were trying to say from the beginning. And um, I also agree that it's just, you know, the mass formation of it. And you probably all, you know, heard of that. And um, it's just, a lot of things that happened were able to happen because of the level of stress that people have and crisis of purpose. And to this day, I even I still see that even in our community, there is a crisis of purpose. And definitely, that's why I'm like, okay, I understand that we all emerged and found, found ourselves because we didn't want to follow, you know, like the, the narrative. I think... Let's define. Let's still find our purpose. Not into this. Uh, not not in trying to, you know, fight against that. Let's find our purpose in something else. Because, I mean, this all can transform or something. But if we know our truth, if we know our purpose, it doesn't really matter if it's alien invasion. You know, how many people <laughs> were choking, and now comes the come the aliens or whatever what's not we're just going to be so powerful in our vision and um i think it's a lot of energy work as well by the way i remember those stories of people walking into a store you know and when they're so powerful in their vision and in in their sovereignty they would be like oh no one actually even approached me you know no one told me anything about the mask and it's like this sort of magic right sometimes it's so hard to explain but um, I definitely had like my down moments. I remember this time when we went to Whole Foods and I think the next day, that's when they were like lifting up all their masks and stuff thing. And we walked into the Whole Foods, we're not wearing masks, like not my kids and not my friend who was with us. And we are the only one, you know? And I think that the reality was just like, I don't know, fell on me and I felt so bad i'm like how come this happening i've never like i never could imagine me being in this situation and i think to that's why just for many people who i think still have common sense it just doesn't make any sense and in a way this is what so draining you know when you try to make sense of it and you don't that drains you so i feel like a lot of us we just like stop trying to make sense of it. And luckily we have all those resources and all those beautiful people talking about mass formation, you know, and other things about tyrannical government and all this global agenda that kind of helps to see the bigger picture. So you don't have to always think, question your own sanity and you understand, yes, there are things that are happening and they're all planned. There is no doubt about it. And that helps us to be strong in our position, in our opinion. And again, allowing other people to, you know, to go on their journey and explore it. Because there is no such thing as force. You know, we cannot force anything on anyone. Aqual optimist. Yeah, that's <laughs> how we call ourselves. <laughs> well, I mean, I would, I think the thing that comes to mind for me is both it, it is the fact that um, you, when you wrote us a summary, um, Mercedes, of your, you know, how you came to this moment, you had talked about 2020 as providing 2020 vision about the kind of world we live in. Um, we've, and, and what's left, we've talked about 
the digital prison being constructed and the health prison being constructed, the soul prison, the head prison, the physical, just the way this prison is being constructed while still recognizing it's not like we weren't in a prison before. It's just that the paint that used to hide the prison is peeling from the walls and the prison is closing in. Like it's getting more and more that way. And that's why the idea of safety within it is, is absurd because the walls are closing in. And, and I do believe like for me, the, the magic words actually in terms of what, what we will need actually kind of came up from Oksana when she said the alignment of your thought and speaking and your actions, because everything about living in today's society and capitalist society before, and very much more so today is getting people to break out of that alignment and, and forcing you to bet. Oh, I want to do this, but in order to go to college, I got to do that. And it's out of you. And so they try to break you in so many different ways out of that alignment. And honestly, I will be, you might not like the fact that I'm seeing your luminary village this way. I feel you are building warriors um, um, because they are going to want people to be fixed in a way that is not in, in a way, well, in a way that they don't have to fight with them in order to get them to do the things. And you, I do believe if you, if, if you have a school and if you have a program, that's about getting people to understand and be in alignment with themselves, then that's a very difficult thing for this system to deal with. I'm not saying they won't do it, but it's difficult, much more difficult than a public education system, which public education system, as I have come to learn even more so now, which I have always been part of that. It's not really public. It's just government schools basically telling you what, telling you what to do. And my job is to help tell them what to do. And that, that has been my job for 20 years. Um, and so there's nothing safe in that, nothing. The only thing good about it were the social connections and the community connections that were built between me and parents, me and students, and me and my colleagues. That's it. Everything else was bullshit. Um, so I do think what you all are doing is, is important. Um, and I guess I have this question because I do, I do feel like there's going to be a fight. And if you build something worth, worth being in, the people who are today running things are going to want to destroy it. You know, I do feel like that. So you, but I want to have something that's worth fighting for, not just to preserve. Right. So put that aside. Do you see what you are doing as part of whether it's a fight or a construction of a world that's different than what currently is being constructed around us? Or do you see it as like the Island you know, that you can survive on rightly. And, you know, that if, if people want a lifeboat for now, this is what it is. Or do you see it as something that will take over the waters and people can live on, on and, and sail on better waters than what we are when we were being struck, you know, confined to. So I guess I wonder what your vision is about that. I hope that question's clear. Yeah, I totally get it. Like, I think, I think if people had to look at the comparisons of like exactly what you said, what the education system was designed for and public schools were designed for, if they really knew why that was designed that way and what the result is supposed to be. And then they looked at alternative education past, like what we're doing and there are people doing them all over. That's what I'm so grateful for is that 
um, you know, all over the Bay Area, we are in alignment with, um, you know, a bunch of communities that are doing the same thing. So I think when people see the comparison and they start to see kids that are more well-rounded, that are happier, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. It's not like we're trying to do something that's like, I mean, the intention is always to create, you know, happy, balanced children. And if you can align yourself with that as a parent, then you might want to pick something like, like what we're doing versus what is being provided and what's free. And, you know, we're at the point now is like, we got to question what's free, you know, nothing, everything free comes with a price and you being in the system, you know, you you already recognized it. Right. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of these kids won't have that choice and they'll have been pushed through that system um, with, you know, if you can read about John Taylor Gatto, who talks about exactly the depths of what this system, how it was designed and, who they want to create. Um, you know, our, our system is really designed to try to build more entrepreneurial mindset and skill-based learning so that by the time they're 18, they can go off running and they already have this solid foundation of skills that they can just go build upon. I mean, ideally by the time they're 18, they already know what their passion is. They're already in line to like get that set up and they're not spending thousands of mommy and daddy's dollars in college or, you know, like I did on the six year program, you know, trying to figure out what's my passion. My dad always said that to me, what's your passion, baby. And I was like, God, like, what kind of question is that? Like, I never, I mean, I never even knew what that word really was until probably the last 10 years. Oh, what makes me happy? What makes me money? What is passion? I mean, so if you want to raise passionate children who actually, you know, like Luxonic said, are in alignment with, you know, what's going on internally and can balance that to what's going on externally. I mean, that's the, to me, that's the magic right there, you know, so that way, that way you can make decisions with sound mind and body and be able to carry yourself through a successful life, you know, and what is success? That's yeah, exactly. A whole other topic. <laughs> a whole other topic. And I, I think, uh, I'm going to try to answer your question when you say it's like a island. So I actually came to this uh, uh, comparison recently that we are the mycelium. Mm. So we, and, and, and early on I had this uh, vision that we cannot isolate ourselves. You know what happens to a closed system? They never survive, you know? So we couldn't isolate ourselves in this like, happy little group you know it's impossible and uh i feel like recently i realized and that we are here you know we live in this society we live in this surrounding but uh we're part of it and the fact that we can just have those strong connections between each other makes us you know unite together and have this common vision so i would say we're not trying to opt out of whatever social life we have right now, because I don't think it actually serves anyone only by being present among what's happening here. We can uh, let people know that there is an alternative, you know, and that's why I'm, I'm actually very passionate. I think you're talking about passion. I'm passionate about the, like the term tyranny itself, you know, because I, to this day, I honestly don't understand how they think it's all going to work because from all the books and all the, you know, movies and history, we know that once someone is trying to 
oppress a group of people. There will be always a tiny group of people who's going to resist, you know? It was always a narrative. And to me, that brings me to another, you know, thought that maybe that's why they call it gene therapy. And maybe that's what they're trying to do. That's just totally my theory, that they're trying to kill that, uh, you know, Gumilov has this term, if I pronounce it right, in English, passionaries. So they maybe they're trying to kill the gene of being the people who resist, you know, to the system. And I, I think by bring, giving this example and staying within this system, you know, kind of reminding them, hello, you're not living in a world where everyone's going to agree. You live in a world where there's always plural opinion, you know, and that's the healthy way. We cannot live as a humankind with only one way of seeing everything. I have just, I'm so appreciative of you both. I just am so enamored and inspired by you. You can just, I mean, even through Zoom, you can just feel the energy. Like you're, you're fucking centered. Like you're doing it. You're doing it. And oh, I didn't know we can say F word. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I never asked permission for that. Maybe I should yes. Ask that question like 10 weeks ago. <laughs> But no, you I can just go I mean, add, I feel like you can I'm add all the so... cursing in the back later. In the I'll bleep it in the edits. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I I mean I think um so I'm gonna say like I I feel like I'm still I mean I feel like peel back these layers you know and sort of claim sovereignty in like different areas of your life over time right and I think the last couple of years it's accelerated for a lot of people but. You know, for myself, like I'm still like struggling a little bit in that sense of like my default is like to fight, you know, and I'm smart, I'm scrappy, I got great cardio, like I'm good at fighting. Um, and there's sort of like a sick pleasure, I think, for some of us in that. And it's not to say like that type of resistance, you know, isn't important. I think there's there is an aspect of that. Um, but it's hard to fight. It's a lot harder to build. Right. And that's what you guys are doing. And I just think it's, that's the most important project. Right. And it, it might look different for different people. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I, I'm just so inspired by what you're doing and look up to you and keep going and keep us updated. And I want to come to the Bay Area. <laughs> where are I, you? No, we're just asking where. Oh, where are you? I'm in Eastern Oregon. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, I was in Seattle up until November, and then I I left um, to come out to the middle of nowhere. Uh, oh, love yeah. it. I'm. A, I mean, I'm a college professor, so I'm still in. I'm still like I've got you know one foot in institutional education, but. We should all meet at Music and Sky. I don't know if you guys know of this event, but it's an amazing event for like-minded people. It was um, unbelievable last year how many people we met through that event. And um, check it out. It calls uh, Music and Sky, and it's going to happen on uh, fall equinox. I think that can be a great place to really get together and you know and have fun and have deep conversations. Where is that? Uh, so every time they have a, a different place, I think right now they're talking about South uh, California, but it is in California. 
Well, I will also say that I, I kind of feel like there might, if, if we can, I feel like there's a whole episode we could do on education. Yeah. Um, and I'd want to invite Dea, who is trying to start a tutoring thing um, with her community in, the, in San Francisco. Um, and, you know, there's an event that they're going to be doing a, a fundraiser on April 23rd to get starting. It, again, I think it's, it sounds similar to what, 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 how you started Mercedes, but more an attempt to try to draw people out of something that's not working for families, but, but understanding that there's some fear about getting out of there. Um, because of the vulnerability. So um, I feel like there's a lot more to say about the school prop process. And I bet there might be another, I think there's another episode to be done there. For sure. And I think uh, for us, like the learning curve is also different age groups, right? Like I think we can talk a lot and uh, about the age group from 11, probably from, from nine to 14, that age group. And um there are a lot of things to discuss about them in particular who been exposed to a system and like, for example, how to pull them out of that and, you know, on school, it's definitely a big topic. Yeah. Any I, final thoughts? Just well, just for the parents that are listening, that are having that fear, like you mentioned, remember it takes 5,000 hours to become an expert on something. And I think uh, as parents, we don't give ourselves enough credit of how much experts we are on our children versus the people that we're surrendering to and letting them, you know, no judgment to you teachers, you know, that have, to, you know, but I'm saying for the ones that, you know, are lacking the confidence, it's like, you're an expert on your child more so than anybody else that you're going to surrender your child to, to, to do any kind of learning with. So believe in yourself and believe and any kind of vision you have for your child and just align with that and just go for it. Exactly. Like, you know, Jessica said uh, it was about the fighting. I have that mentality too. I love a good fight, but I also have come to the point where it's like, Hey, you know what, for my daughter right now, I just have to exit and build because it's just so much easier than, than trying to fight this system that's just set up to, for the question, you know? So, yeah. And, and I also encourage everyone once you get on that path, you will meet, you know, one of the fears is that you're going to be, you know, you're going to lose your connections. You're going to lose your family, your friends. Don't be scared of that. On the other side, you're going to be welcomed by beautiful people who are so aligned with you. And that's one of the things that a lot of people say, in a way, we're thankful that this all you know, pandemic happened because now we're where we're supposed to be. We're with the people and the community is so important when it comes to raising a child, children. So don't be scared. Community is the key and also always trust yourself. Thank you guys so much. It was so good. It was so good. Oh my God. I really want to invite you to Luminary Village gathering and that would be this so whole great thing was like a giant commercial for going to this promise. Like <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's conclude. We're going to do the outro and then. Thank you, though. Thank yeah. you so much for doing this, man. So let, let me just do the outro and then we'll, we'll um, say our, our goodbyes. <clears throat>
that does it for this week's episode. Uh, what's left is a weekly political podcast that's channel challenging the mainstream left. Post information about our topics and our guests uh, on the episode notes where we found this episode or on our blog at what-s-left.webnote.com. Uh, you can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything you have heard here with these visionaries, uh, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications uh, to any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Rumble, or Telegram. And uh, you can find any of that in the episode notes. And if you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. Um, I'm Eduardo Barca with co-hosts Jessica and Andy Lipson, and we'll have Kenny next week. Thank you all very much, and thank you both very much for being with us Mercedes and um, Oksana thank you very much for being with us it was great hearing you both uh, felt very inspired and I will be visiting in the future yes thank, thank you, you guys. for having us thank you this was awesome please come to the gathering we really want to meet you in person we always say we are offline community we want to hug you <laughs> and feed you and have fun with you yes so uh, please come and Andrew I know you couldn't find us but maybe I should wear I should wear this dress next time you know that's how you're gonna recognize and you all just wear purple and then I'll make it easier <laughs> yeah that's a good idea we love like theme gatherings you know <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, you again. Ciao. Have a good night.